It's been a busy summer of politics, and with the state fair right around the corner, there is no letting up. Our panel of political reporters will get you up to date with all you need to know on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, August 4th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. July was a busy month for Iowa political reporters. There was a special legislative session, and there was a whole lot of presidential politicking going on in the month of July. August will be the same. Let's hear from these Iowa political reporters on this edition of Iowa Press. Katie Aiken is here. She is the State House reporter for the Des Moines Register. Clay Masters is host and lead political reporter for Iowa Public Radio. Brianne Fonnensteel is the chief political reporter for the Des Moines Register. And Aaron Murphy is the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. A week ago, on Friday the 28th of July, Brianne, there were 13 presidential candidates who spoke at the Iowa GOP fundraiser. There were about 1,000 people there. What was the big takeaway? Well, this is, as you mentioned, one of several of these big events that have drawn a whole wide range of presidential candidates, but it's the only one so far and likely the only one this caucus cycle that actually brought Donald Trump in person to this event. He was one of the 13 presidential candidates who spoke. He spoke last, and so I think we spent a lot of time kind of speculating what that might look like, what he might say, how it might change the dynamics of that event. And so it was really interesting to see him go on. Every candidate had a very strict 10-minute limit. They mm -hmm. were going to turn off the microphones and kick people off the stage if they went overboard. And so I don't know that I've ever seen Donald Trump stick to 10 minutes before, but he was very uh, serious about heeding that time limit. And so he, he came up with some papers that he was reading off of and he stuck really closely to a script. And so it was really interesting when he did the thing that so many people say they want to see from him, which is stick to a script, follow, you know, follow uh, this, this script and stay on message he really lost a lot of the sparkle. It was it was kind of a um, a quieter performance than we've seen from him. The showmanship was gone, and so it was really interesting to see him in that room. I think we saw why his campaign does not ask him to speak that way. It wasn't the Donald Trump that we see at literally every other event and, and the Donald Trump that really gets his supporters excited. It was remarkable to see him that <clears throat> scripted and that 
constrained to literally reading from his notes for most of those 10 minutes. And after eight years of covering the man and seeing these long meandering speeches that we've become accustomed to in covering him, it was quite something to see him stick to 10 minutes. And this was before the news came out, of course, that he was arraigned on four felony charges that accused him of conspiring to stay in power even though he lost the 2020 election. But everybody kind of felt this was, was coming down the pike. And Everybody that I talked to in that room still had very glowing things to say about Donald Trump. Uh, there was a lot of uh, frustration over the pending indictments uh, that we were going to see. And it was very much a showing that this is still a party that really likes him, Donald Trump. And uh, you even saw a moment where Will Hurd, a former congressman from Texas, said Donald Trump is only running to stay out of prison. And there were a lot of boos in that room that day. Katie. Uh people were sort of anticipating a Trump versus DeSantis moment at that particular event. You covered uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, in the hours leading up to that event. Yeah, so Ron DeSantis was in town. Uh, his PAC was putting on a bus tour. Uh, so I was with him Friday before the event. Uh, we asked him, you know, you're going to this event tonight with 12 of your competitors. How are you going to you know, differentiate yourself from them. And he said he was really going to focus on his biography. He was going to focus on his record in Florida. Um, and he was going to make the case that he was the most able to beat Joe Biden in a general election. Um, overall, I hear he got a good uh, response at the dinner, but he wasn't really, he didn't have his claws out. He didn't come out and attack Trump at that dinner, even though they were both on that stage. The, the other thing I wanted to add, going back to the moment that Clay described, uh, Congress, former Congressman Heard, um, it was remarkable um, watching that unfold, too, be, not just for what he said, but the way he delivered it. There, there was a moment right before he said the now infamous line of Donald Trump isn't running to represent the people he ran for in 2016 and 2020. He's not running to make America great again. He's running to stay out of prison. In the, in the moment right before that, there was this visible pause and, and it was almost, and I'm reading into it a little bit now, but it almost looked like Congressman Hurd was making one last decision. Do I go for this <laughs> yeah, or not? Yeah. Um, and he did. And uh, yeah, to, to Clay's point, it, it, more booze than I've heard at a, at a state party event in a long time. It, was, it wasn't the entire room, uh, but it was a very audible section. It was a very remarkable moment. Uh, Brian, we've seen people booed about Ukraine policy in Iowa as there's a group of Republican voters who think the U.S. should retract from Ukraine. You have some candidates who are articulating that and others who are vociferously saying the U.S. should stay in Ukraine. But let's talk a little bit more about the Will Hurd moment. What did it tell us about the Iowa GOP? Well, it was really fascinating in this moment because this was a, a function hosted by the Republican Party of Iowa. You, you paid money to be there. It was a dinner. People were dressed in nice suits and nice dresses. They were out for the evening for a nice dinner. This is very much um, the party, right? This is not necessarily the, the grassroots folks who you might expect to see at a Donald Trump rally. So to hear this room in particular boo when Will Hurd made those comments was surprising to me. When, when he was making the comments, as Aaron said, you know, there was kind of a collective breath holding. You know, he started to inch toward making these statements and everyone kind of 
waited. What's what's he going to do to resolve this? And so when it came out and there were boos, you know, I, I was looking around the room and certainly there was a chunk of, of this group who was booing. Some people were keeping quiet. So I think it says that there are, are many people who are still committed to Donald Trump. They don't want to hear anything against him. But there's also this quieter group who is just sitting there, right? They're, they're maybe not as vocal in, um, in responding to those things. So in talking with folks afterward, there are still a lot of people who are open to the, the 12 other candidates who were there. What does this tell us about Trump 2024 versus Trump 2016? First off, I just, I'll, we'll stop talking about the dinner at some point, mm -hmm. but I just want to circle back. I mean, it was a, a very, and I, I think I can answer the question by saying this, but it was a kind of an informal straw poll moment where you were afterwards, they had these different rooms where you could go meet the different candidates. And there was a line to see Donald Trump. Longest line. There was, mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a line to see Vivek Ramaswamy. There was a line to see Ron DeSantis. By comparison, there was like, you, you could get in and see the former vice president, Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of tells you, you know, anecdotally that Trump's doing just fine in the party. Okay, so the difference between 2016 and 2024. Well, you have a former president who has served as president. We have these criminal charges that we've been hearing about in the news every day. But the, the way that I always described him in 2016 as running is he would, he wasn't doing the normal cattle calls. He'd come to some of them, but he would come, he'd fly in, he'd do his kind of choose your own adventure uh, Donald Trump speech. And afterwards people would say, you know, I think it's time where we don't have a politician, we have a businessman and he just shoots from the hip and says what he thinks. When you s would cover him day in, day out, he was saying a lot of the same stuff. This time around, he is trying to do more of the like, okay, I'll stop at a Dairy Queen and give people blizzards and council bluffs, and I'll stop at the machine shed in Urbandale and meet with a small group of people packed in here. So he's he's not playing by the, the Iowa rules like we think of, the the 99 county tour, but he's still he's not playing by the rules differently this time around. Uh, Brian on this Friday morning, the New York Times has released an Iowa-specific poll. What stands out to you from what you see in their data? Well, first of all, it's really nice to have some Iowa polling. You know, we're looking at all of this national polling, which really has very little bearing on, on the Iowa caucuses. This is not a national race. Mm -hmm. Iowans will caucus, and so it's important to hear how Iowa likely Republican caucus goers are feeling. And so this is one of the few um, real tests of that that we've had so far. But it it showed pretty broadly what I think we might expect. It showed Donald Trump leading the field at 44 percent, um, which is, you know, still double digits ahead of Ron DeSantis's 20 percent. But that margin is a little bit smaller than what we're seeing nationally. And so perhaps we're seeing some movement on the ground here. Ron DeSantis's team has never backed down. Super PAC has been uh, working very aggressively on door knocking and advertising and that kind of thing. So that might have some effect here. We're also seeing Tim Scott at 9 percent. Everyone else is at 5% or below. And so it, it really is kind of showing the tiers of this race and um, kind of broadly what, what we're seeing as a snapshot in time in this month of, of the race. Katie, you and I covered an event in, I believe it was July, at which Casey DeSantis appeared with Governor Kim Reynolds. And I believe in the month of July, Donald Trump let his feelings be known that he's not happy with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds because she is remaining neutral in the race. 
Yeah, that situation has been really fascinating to watch because, you know, Governor Kim Reynolds has told us she's not planning to endorse, she is not trying to be anyone's vice president, she is just welcoming people to Iowa. You know, that being said, former President Donald Trump is upset with her that she's not being more loyal towards him. You know, he mm -hmm. said on Truth Social that he essentially helped Kim Reynolds become the governor in the first place and suggested that she may owe some, some loyalty to him for that. Um, that dispute has sort of played out in the past few weeks. You know, we saw one Iowa state senator who had endorsed Trump mm -hmm. decided to switch his endorsement to DeSantis because Trump had come after Kim Reynolds. Um, and then even more recently, after this most recent Trump indictment, you know, we haven't heard anything from Reynolds about it. Whereas after previous indictments, she would put out a statement and say this was uh, wrong or the Justice Department was being misused. So it's been interesting to see how the two of them have Trump and Reynolds, that is, have sort of split. And as of right now, Donald Trump has not accepted an invitation to speak to Governor Kim Reynolds for her Iowa State Fair chats. <clears throat> I wanted to just really super quick, uh, going back to the Times poll, two things that stood out to me. Brianne mentioned Tim Scott. He's also at 69% favorability rating in that poll, which is second in the field only to Donald Trump. And that's interesting. Maybe there's reason to believe that he can growth well, because of that Well, he's spending number. a lot on advertising. Exactly. Hour, so the advertising might be is. paying off. Yep. Right. The other thing, and this ties us back to something we brought up during the Lincoln Dinner discussion, is um, there is widespread opposition in the Republican Party of Iowa to further aid for Ukraine. And, and that may be why you hear some of the candidates mm -hmm. talk about that the way they do I because I'm occasionally terrible at my job? I didn't write down the exact numbers in that poll, but it was decisively <laughs> um, a, a opposition to right. aid for Ukraine, and that that stood out to me as well. On July 14th, there was an event at which there were 2,000 people in attendance, and there was another cavalcade of. Republican presidential candidates there. It was an event sponsored by the family leader. It was called the Family Leadership Summit. And the head of the family leader, Bob Vanderplatz, has said, clean slate, time for a new clean slate. Clay, I believe you and I uh, were there seated next to one another covering this event. What did strike you as the most important moment or thing that we learned there? Well, first off, it was so Bob Vanderplatz, who was on this program a couple months ago, he's the, the leader of the family leader, and he, and he got up and spoke, but it was really the kind of the Tucker Carlson show, the former Fox mm -hmm. News host. Uh, he was interviewing all these different candidates. And I mean, like, this, I've covered these summits in the past, and they focus a lot on uh, uh, anti-abortion rhetoric. They focus on a, a lot of religious stuff. You know, eight years ago, Donald Trump said at this thing, um, you know, he doesn't ask the Lord for forgiveness or something of like that and kind of misused talking about the sacrament. So, you know, I was kind of geared up for that, but it was, it was basically Tucker Carlson saying what he wanted to say, asking what he wanted to ask. And so the, the audience was very much reacting to the, those interviews that Tucker was doing. So that was kind of unique in covering this one compared to past years. 
And the, the other thing there that was important to me was just to see how much work this group has done in affecting policy in the state of Iowa. You had Chuck Hurley, uh, the uh, legislative person for the family leader who lobbies on behalf of them, talking about, you know, we've been working for years to change things in Iowa and could run down the laundry list of things that were passed in the legislative session. And then you had the governor, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, sign the abortion ban at six weeks at that event uh, with all the legislators who helped pave the way for that to happen. So while it was an event to feature the presidential candidates, uh, those were the kind of takeaways for me was this was very much a, a function of what is happening in the state and what the, the party has been affected by the family leader. And I'll, I'll beat the dead horse. One of the moments that stood <clears throat> out was Tucker Carlson pressing Mike Pence on Ukraine policy. Mm -hmm. and, and Tucker obviously had a very, coming at it from a very anti-aid to Ukraine perspective, and Mike Pence has been supportive of, of continuing uh, that aid to Ukraine. So that was one of the more contentious moments of that day, of that exchange between Tucker Carlson and, and Mike Pence. And foreign policy, like what Pence is, I mean, that's the old Republican Party. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that on the national platform, when, they're, when Republicans have campaigned here, uh, having a strong footprint in other parts of the world, to see that getting booed now at a function that's featuring a lot of Republican voters, that's, that's change in direction for the party. Katie, uh, in the moments leading up to the time that Governor Kim Reynolds signed the Fetal Heartbeat Act into law, you were in a courtroom hearing people argue about it. Yeah, so we had seen the Iowa legislature had passed that bill just a few days before in a one-day special session. Uh, as Clay mentioned, it would ban most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. Um, so it was immediately challenged in court, and the ACLU and Planned Parenthood asked a court to uh, issue a temporary injunction, you know, not allow the law to take effect at all. So simultaneously, as the family leadership summit was going on, and as the governor was preparing to sign the bill, the state's lawyers were arguing in court about why it should be allowed to take effect in a Polk County District Court. Um, so the judge did not agree to issue a ruling from the bench. He said, give me the weekend to think over this massive issue. Um, but we heard arguments, and then uh, the next Monday, that judge actually did issue a temporary injunction. So that law is currently not in effect, um, and abortion is legal until about 20 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, but it was remarkable that these two things were happening simultaneously about a mile apart. Talking about things happening simultaneously, the Iowa State <laughs> Fair is coming up, <laughs> and there's going to be a big Saturday, August 12th, at which there should be six aspirants for the White House uh, going to be there. Um, I, I'm guessing you and I will be there as well, Brianne. <laughs> we will, and <laughs> I'm keeping a close eye on the weather, but it's gonna be a really busy weekend leading into a busy state fair time. Again, we've got all of these presidential candidates who are running, they'll be participating in Governor Kim Reynolds' new um, fair side chat series that she's hosting. The Des Moines Register will host our political soapbox once again where we're bringing a lot of these candidates to speak about um, about their platforms and, and you know their message to Iowans. And so it'll be really fascinating to see kind of that circus, right? We've, we've seen some big moments in state fair history. Um, I'm thinking about the day that uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders were all there at the same time um, 
big day for reporters trying to be everywhere at once. But, you know, again, Donald Trump has not um, confirmed that he'll attend either of those events. So we're waiting to see whether he intends to come and whether he intends to upstage his past events where he has given helicopter rides to children at the fairgrounds. Right, and he flew over yes. the fairgrounds as Bernie Sanders was speaking to a large crowd at the state fair's uh, Des Moines Register soapbox. Aaron, what stands out to you about, or what are you expecting from the fair? Well, I think we're entering, we're entering an interesting time in, in the campaign here where I feel like more and more Republicans are starting to tune into this and really get serious now. It's easy for those of us, especially at this table, and maybe some of our viewers who are tuned into this stuff really in depth, and, and for us, this has been going on forever already. It's easy to for, forget that Iowa's a very late deciding state in the caucuses, and, and there's people who are just getting tuned into this now and just getting serious about it. And, and uh, I, I think we're heading into an interesting point of the campaign, and, and this is a big opportunity now, as Brianne mentioned, um, especially for some of those non-Donald Trump candidates to start and make some movement and, and get their message out to a lot of voters. You know, there's going to be a ton of media at the State Fair following this, so anything that happens out there will be, you know, well <laughs> broadcast to the masses. Um, so this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for the, the Tim Scotts, the Vivek Ramaswamy's, the Nikki Haley's, and anybody else to um, have their moment that maybe it gets them more into the conversation than they currently are. Well, I mean, in 2015, when I covered the state fair, Scott Walker was there, and then he wasn't in the race <laughs> like a month later. There are a lot of pitfalls too, right? This is a very retail-heavy kind of event, right? You're going around, you're eating food, you're riding fair rides, you're shaking hands with Iowans. And so we've seen some candidates who are struggling to, to connect a lot of times and to have those real moments. And so as they move through the fair, especially big names like Ron DeSantis are going to be surrounded by TV cameras mm -hmm. from everyone in the country watching closely for him to say something maybe perhaps off kilter to have strange moments him and all of these other candidates and so there are pitfalls certainly with this event as well well katie he did a run through at a, at a county fair right yes yeah he has been um ron DeSantis has been doing more of this retail politicking lately um because I really do think it is a test of the Iowa system, right? Like you have Donald Trump who's able to maybe skip some of these smaller events. People know who he is. People know who he is. But everyone else, you're expected to go to these fairgrounds to go shake hands. Um, and we have seen him at some of those smaller events. You know, he had a bit of a viral moment uh, uh, earlier this month where he saw a kid drinking an icy and said something about how much sugar was in it, which people thought was maybe a little strange. If but he's surprised uh, by yeah. that, it's going to be really interesting <laughs> to see what he has to say about state fair food. Uh, Clay, uh, a couple of people will be at the State Fair, um, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson. They're Democrats who say they're challenging um, Joe Biden. Uh, that brings to mind the Iowa Democratic caucuses? That's right. So first off, since we've had a one of these roundtables, we haven't talked about that. There is actually a date set for the uh, Iowa caucuses for Republicans. Yeah, you already know this. <laughs> okay. January 15th. And the Iowa Democrats, if you may remember from watching this show, the calendar has been in chaos for a number of years now, and it's still not set in stone. Mm -hmm. And so... But Iowa's not going to be first, most likely. Right. 
And so there's been question about, well, will anybody on the Democratic side even come to Iowa? Well, when I saw the list come from the Des Moines Register Political Soapbox, I thought, oh, wow, there's actually going to be a couple uh, Democrats who are here. So they're making some kind of play right now. It'll be interesting to see what they have to say and to see how serious they're going to take Iowa. And the other thing, too, is that I, you know, I was watching the Iowa PBS documentary about the state fair, and it was a reminder that it's like, oh, this is the state coming together in the central part of the state. And at the core, these politicians are coming, trying to, to Aaron's point, put a bug in people's ear that, hey, there's a presidential race coming along. If you haven't been paying attention, you know, people are turning their heads and seeing these people on the stump. So this is a chance for people to start actually getting as plugged, maybe not as plugged in as we all are, but it's a chance to start kind of paying attention. Uh, Brianne, is January 15th really going to be the date of the Iowa GOP caucuses? That's a great question, Kay. I think we've all learned not to write anything in stone at this point. Write it in pencil. Write, write it in pencil. There's the chance to erase it and to move it by a week or two. Um, you know, we're, we're watching what happens happens with other states like New Hampshire. Um, you know, Iowa exists within this system where it's affected by all of the other early states as well. And so as this process moves along, I think there's a chance it could move. But Jeff Kaufman, uh, the Republican Party of Iowa chairman, appeared at the Lincoln dinner just last week with the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Nunu, saying, we are united, we are interested in moving forward as we always have with Iowa first and New Hampshire second. So I think that's the hope that, that this will stay. Aaron, just about a minute and a half left. Um, schools are starting, and schools are asking for some guidance for some new state laws. And they're not getting it. Um, so the legislature and the governor passed um, a, a very sweeping bill, but one of the most um, notable elements of it was it, it said that school libraries and curriculum can contain m materials that have um, certain graphic depictions and there's there's definitions of that in the law and schools are desperately seeking guidance from the state on what exactly that means what sh can be allowed in, in in schools and what can't we've heard of a suburban uh, Des Moines school that's taken hundreds of books off of their shelves and the Department of Education has essentially not given them any guidance. They, they, they basically, they gave them a, a, a re-summarizing of the law with no details whatsoever. So schools are still kind of left in the dark on this and uh, having to fend for themselves and decide on their own what they think the law means as far as what books are okay to remain in schools. So we were in the dark until this week about some gambling-related investigations that involved student-athletes at the University of Iowa and Iowa State. Does anyone sitting at this table think there's an appetite among Iowa legislators to sort of peel back any gambling laws in the state? What previous gambling law has been peeled back in any form? Okay, have any? I don't have an example, and I'm also <laughs> saved by the bell, so to speak, because we are out of time for this episode of Iowa Press. Thanks to all of you, and Thank start you. hydrating now <laughs> for the State Fair. <laughs> you can watch every episode of Iowa Press online at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching today. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure.
Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite's 1,600 employees are our company's greatest asset. A family-run business, Elite supports volunteerism, encourages promotions from within, and shares profits with our employees. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.